Yeah, it's raining right now. I'm gonna hit record on that. You rocking on this? Welcome to the first episode of Going to School on them, a subsection of Learning Patience, where myself and possibly this goon right here, Davey, dive into different subjects that we might be t- covering on Cannabis Conversations or maybe on our Facebook or something, but we're looking to cover a little bit deeper. Today is a great topic. We're going to be covering this book right here, CBD, A Patient's Guide to Medical Cannabis, Healing Without the High. It's by Leonard Linau and Juliana Birnbaum. So I want to talk today about this book with Jordan and you guys, because this was the first kind of mainstream, I don't know, different than what I was seeing in the media, a little bit more in-depth, well-researched, had some more of a book vibe to it than something that was put together by a company. So I thought that'd be a great place to start. So I had a couple notes we can... And, run uh, over in this thing. Just off the bat, you probably won't be hearing much from me. I'm just here to learn. John, John's the the source of knowledge here, and I I, I really love talking with him and listening to him. So that's kind of why I'm here, and I'll just be. I feel like asking questions that maybe a dumber question for people under understand, just because I don't know as much as John. Well, that's a that's a way to put it. He's he's coming from. Wanting to know more, maybe knowing a little bit more, having worked in the industry and with CBD specifically for about a year now, just trying to understand it. I'm still trying to understand it. So the, the, one of the first things I saw was uh, part one is patient's primer on cannabis and CBD. So that's the part we're covering right now. We're not covering the whole book. We're just covering the primer on CBD. Patient's primer? Say it again? Patient's primer on Patient's CBD. primer on CBD, yep. Okay. So... The intro. We are starting on the intro, actually. Where'd you find this book? Where'd you see this book first? I or was searching on... Put it, put, I think I was... I don't no, know. no, it's, it's uh, Extract Labs. When we took our trip... I thought someone put you on it, but I didn't right. know if you... That's said, a good place I, to start. I think you might have saw it prior. I don't know. I hadn't seen you it. Okay. Nope, this was the... Yeah, that's why it was one of the first because I, I can't remember her name from Extract Labs, but it was which is the company that we get our <laughs> CBD from. Mertz. It wasn't. It wasn't Mertz. Showed up, but she said, "Yeah, I've been reading it for a while and I haven't gotten it. Like, I'm gonna buy that and read it in one day. <laughs> I'm reading that thing. You probably read it in less." But the first thing that I talked about is cannabis being what's called a camp following plant. So it's something that when you cleared out piles of land ten thousand plus years ago. Oftentimes it was for your poop. So you didn't want people pooping in your camp. You had them go to a spot. And where you cleared out that spot, you not only removed other possible plants, but you set up a spot. Cannabis likes to grow in piles of shit is really what it comes down to. Seems like a lot of, I don't even know if you want to call them drugs, but a lot of psychedelic plants grow to poop. Yeah, that's good. Not that, you know, CBD is one of them, but. They're the shit. I wonder why that is. Something in poop. Something with the bond. It probably just makes sense. We're here to help support them. They're here to help support us. It's life voice. pretty good relationship. Next thing was that the guy who kind of brought cannabis medicine back into the mail, actually, I think into the mainstream of, in sense of European. So the history is a whole different topic, subject, a uh, different day. We'll talk about where it started to come from. But as far as mainstream, medicine this uh irish physician william brooke o'shaughnessy irish guy getting crunk and rolling it up brick o'shaughnessy <laughs> william brooke o'shaughnessy okay so he died in 1889 i think this was in the 1839 paper he wrote here but he was a professor of chemistry at a university university in india so they called it indian hemp that's people ask like, oh, where's this when they hemp brought from? it back mainstream? They call it Indian hemp. Yep, because it was brought from dude? India. So this William Brooke O'Shaughnessy yeah. was doing some studying on the use of cannabis in Indian society for medicinal purposes, like cultural ones, and yeah. then just kind of their mainstream included it too. Yeah, and so he studied it and saw, like he said in his 1839 paper, he said that patients suffering from rheumatism, hydrophobia, cholera, tetanus. And infants with seizures responded well to cannabis therapy. 
going from near death to, quote, the enjoyment of robust health in a few days. So this was in 1839. So I love when people have the, there's no, there's no evidence. There's, it's not tested. How long of a, if you're looking at case studies, 1839, we're almost coming up on a hundred years of case study, starting with was this guy. Was that in India or was that in? Oh yeah, that would totally make it unbelievable in the, in the U.S. Just the, or in, in Europe, if it was done in a different country, yeah. it negates it immediately. It's junk. Yeah, it's but it, it actually, it was done, a lot of it in India. Um, it came more into Europe and America from 1850 to 1930s with tinctures of marijuana or cannabis extract. So that's one thing when they changed it from, they were trying to outlaw marijuana with the tax act. The American Medical Association was one of the last groups fighting to keep it legal because they didn't know during all these congressional hearings, they weren't invited and they weren't aware that marijuana was the same thing as cannabis which they were prescribing high percent didn't know that. extracts. It's a slang term. So now we're all like, oh, yeah, it's, it's marijuana. But then that was just being made up. So when people wonder where all these yeah. different names come from, that one's definitely made up. I mean, it sounds yeah. What is it? Eight? Okay. So in 1937, this is when it was officially criminalized, and that was due to the Marijuana Tax Act. So What was the year, 57? No, 37. So before that, it wasn't illegal in any way, shape, or form. And this didn't actually even make it illegal. What it did is it put a large tax on the possession, sale, growth of cannabis in any form, including hemp. In 37. 37. So it wasn't outrageous to us, the numbers, like a couple of dollars or whatever. But it was a lot of smaller farmers who kind of, through their efforts, sold together. Yeah. They weren't organized to where they could defend themselves or anything, but they got wiped out pretty quickly. So it kind of parallels what we're dealing Who with here. Who threw that tax on? Um, so let's see if it uh, specifically in 37 criminalized. <laughs> yeah. I don't know when that uh, started, the reserve, though. No, I don't think it was. 1837? This was 1937. And I think it, okay, so Department of Agriculture, that's who. Duh. So it's an agriculture. Looks like she's audio now, boys. We're going straight audio to the audio book. Even blocking it that way. That'll be a good intro. Oh, headphones went on. John's yeah. in a separate room now. Hello, I'm back. <laughs> so that, that's why people so freely in the 60s were able to rebel and use cannabis in different ways like that because it wasn't just actually, the department of agriculture yeah basically? there was no criminal it's association like, with it <laughs> right charge extra tax at the yeah. grocery store <laughs> right. that's crazy but sweet so it it became illegal due to the controlled substance act of 1970 and all this stuff is kind of coming from the book and I'm just following how it goes and we'll cover some of these topics a little bit more in depth. And it was labeled a schedule one drug, uh, heroin and LSD. I think methamphetamine is not a schedule one. I would rather my kids be on meth. I don't know about any of you, but <laughs> I thought it said that in the book at first, but I got you. According to the book. Yeah. Schedule one. Horrible. <laughs> that in schedule one, just to clarify, <clears throat> which it still currently is listed as that is labeled as having the relatively highest abuse potential and no, no accepted medical, medical use. Right. Yeah. And most of the cannabis from that time came from Mexico, but in 75, the government in Mexico agreed to get rid of it kind of team up together by spraying an herbicide Paraquat, which was highly toxic and Paraquat. Paraquat. Mm hmm. Q-U-A-T or Q-U-A-T, yeah. Then Colombia became the source, and uh, then it, it really boiled down to that's where Hawaii, Alaska, and California took over the domestic growth, growth of it because it just went underground. That led to the you know, indica boom Straight with the, underground. The, the smaller plants so that you could hide them easier. Moving along here. So in 1973, three years after the... Controlled Substance Act, Dr. Todd Mikeyuria, probably butchering. A bunch of sweet names. Right? Reprinted O'Shaughnessy's 
papers. <laughs> there he is, O'Shaughnessy. <laughs> O'Shaughnessy. And it became uh, he he uh, re- reprinted the papers in an article, marijuana medical papers, and that was in a book whose publication became a landmark in the medical marijuana movement. And it's funny because the previous year, the National Commission on Marijuana and Drug Abuse, appointed by Nixon (laughs) at the direction of Congress, considered laws regarding marijuana and determined, this is directly out of the book, that personal use of marijuana should be decriminalized. He rejected the recommendation, but over the course of the 70s, 11 states decriminalized cannabis and most others reduced their penalties. So right after 1970 Controlled Substance Act, so the first, when it actually became illegal, thinking back to the perspective of things, people thinking, oh, it's been bad forever. It's something that we've needed to fear for a long time. We, it's just, we know it's bad. Well, 1970 was the year that they did, that it was solidified illegally. And then 72 is when, who was it? <laughs> it was Nixon. Nixon. <laughs> yep. Yep. National Commission on Marijuana and Drug Abuse, which is... Probably stem from them wanting to figure it out. They do studies on heroin. They do studies on LSD, cocaine. All of those drugs are studied how they interact with the body because as concerned people, we want to know what they do to us. And we're just curious anyways. Oh, definitely. So they were, they were doing some studying and came to that conclusion. And so a lot of other scientific progress has been made in that area. But even just that, through Congress and through this, the channels that we were supposed to get the results out of nothing nothing all right so now we're going to look at the first cannabinoid discovered and it was not i thought it was thc it was it's actually cannabinol cbn so it's kind of known for its uh sedative it helps induce sleep and it was isolated in the 1800s at the end of it. So now it's thought to be the CBN, CBN cannabinol. And that had to have been off the cannabis plant. Definitely. It's a cannabinoid. And it's thought to be the like breakdown. And what did you say was the first one discovered? Isolated. Yeah. So I guess discovered because if they didn't have an isolated, CBN. they can't call it anything. Yeah. Cannabinol. Cannabinol. And Word. so that's thought to be uh, that it comes from THC when you store it or high THC cannabis when it is stored over time. Some of that turns to CBN. So if anybody out there... Does our body turn to CBN or does it no. just naturally just Na- switch? That's the thought over time in... Uh, THC turns to CBN. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever had kind of a, a bunk bag that's you found after a long time, that's probably because a lot it of the turned THC turned to CBN. And Seriously. it does have some psychoactivity. Really? But- it gets you, gets you extra, That'd be a good extra pitch. sleepy. That's an old bag, but yeah. she's loaded with CBN. Oh, man. She's loaded with the CBN. Is that hemp That's flower? the first cannabinoid ever discovered. Its structure was illustrated in the early 30s by R.S. Kahn. There's some cool names associated with this stuff. Chemical synthesis in 1940, R. Adams in the United States, and Lord Todd. In the United what? Kingdom. What? Yeah, Lord, oh, Lord Todd was a chemist. Kingdom. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, Lord, Lord Todd was an OG. What is Monty Python? <laughs> exactly. Lord Todd. Uh, so the second component was? Second component of what? That was discovered. Oh, THC, right? CBD. No. So they've known about CBD longer than THC. At first it was thought to be uh, a junk, as do, did scientists previous years, and I think we still do today. If we don't understand something, we say it's junk. <laughs> like, oh, oh, that's junk. You're junk. Junk DNA. Uh, junk friends. This place is junk. <laughs> so CBD was discovered after. And that was by Adams, again, and his colleagues. So in 1942, a couple of people extracted THC. But it wasn't until 1964. So 1963 was the, the first like structural and chemistry, we know exactly what it's made out of for both CBD and THC. And that person who discovered that was Raphael Meshlam, this guy in Israel. So he did that in 62 or 63 for CBD. Correct. This 19... isn't buddy you emailed, is it? Oh, yeah. And then, and then. Shout out Raphael THC. He's in Israel, though? Yeah. Oh, I borders over there. Big walls. Hey, they're pretty open to the the cannabis That's so. what I'm talking about. Exactly. If I had doors, I would be too. No one coming in to take it from me. 
<laughs> so they first started looking at THC because, like I said, they thought it was junk. Bunk. And in, they thought uh, it was CBN. <laughs> they thought it was an old bag. They had that fresh. The story on how he got that first first uh, sample was found in. I watched this documentary he did called The Scientist, and I guess he Who went Raphael Meshlam. Yeah. When he first got his first sample of any THC containing substance, he got hash. And so he went to the police after like, having one of his associates call and see if he was able to get some. And nobody had ever done it before and studied it. It wasn't common. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, you're just going to have to come pick it up and sign for it. So he went on the train, went there, grabbed it, signed for it. He said it was like five kilos, so uh, 10 pounds of uh, half or Kilos are more. There's my American idiocy coming out. I don't so, even know how much kilo is. Uh, so each kilo is 2.2 pounds. Word. Yeah, so it would be more. Ha, I was right. About 10 pounds of hash. So this little scientist dude grabs his hash and just stanking on the train. He remembers people were looking around trying to figure out what the, where the smell was coming from. And he just did that a couple times, and then they developed a protocol after that. So he just rolled up into the police station and asked yeah. for the hash because he wanted to study it? Yeah. And he's nice. And then, like, That's a, lit. I'm trying to study it all now. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, officers. We're trying to study. <laughs> Any officers listening to this? <laughs> Get at send, me. Send it out. I got to study a bunch of stuff. So that same guy, uh, Dr. Meshlam, did some studies that showed that THC and CBD worked in treating seizure disorders and other things. And especially in 1984, when there was a Brazilian study that was done, and after that showed some, some effects from the plant in a randomized clinical trial, which is like the gold standard of doing research, and there was no movement, he was confused. So he continued to study it, and that kind of fueled him, and just couldn't understand why there was no change in the policy after there was obvious benefits from it. So that, that confused him, and it, and it pushed him. That, that kind of leads us a little bit forward to 98, where the British government contracted this company called GW Pharmaceuticals to grow cannabis for some clinical trials. So 98, that's after California had the Prop 205, I think it is there. That 1998? 1998, yep. So Not that long. Nope. British, um, Great Britain had GW Pharmaceuticals growing this cannabis, and they ended up coming out with a couple different forms of it. One that just got approved, the Epidiolex, the CBD compound, the whole plant in the United States that the FDA approved is from GW Pharmaceuticals. Um, the a half synthetic? And half. Nope, this is whole plant. So that's called whole Epidiolex. Spectrum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they, they've been studying that for a while and using it over in Great Britain. And they saw that CBD with its lower psychoactive properties and non-intoxicating properties. So it is psychoactive. It does change your mindset. It's just not going to change it in a way that interrupts your ability to function. So the, the past couple decades, CBD has been growing, especially when we're talking about kids and having seizures. This book touches on a neuroscientist, Katherine Johnson, whose, I believe it was son, yep, son had epilepsy, and she was able to get some CBD-dominant plants and started making some drops for her son and saw that it helped benefit her son. And what she, she says, and it's, it plays into what kind of freedom that we really should have around our, our medical choices in the U.S., she says, it's painful for her to think about what might have happened if we had been able to do this research five years ago or six years ago. I know for a fact that he would be a different kid today if he hadn't suffered all that brain damage. And that's something that drives me a little bit thinking about uh, my grandpa and other people who uh, he has frontal temporal dementia. So that's something that dementia and brain degeneration Cannabinoids have been shown to help that through government research. 
So that that choice, I feel people should have. Yeah, definitely. Um, just like you said, it's a drive to push for that. You know, <clears throat> just helping people at all in any area. You know, it helps me. I know it helps you. A lot of people in our circle. So just that alone is a good enough push to talk about it, to bring products to people, all sorts of you know everything that we're doing. <clears throat> That will move on to the next little chunk of things, and that's going to be the biology and chemistry of cannabis and CBD. We're not going to go too deep into this. We're just going to touch on a few things. Say it again. What is it? It is the biology and chemistry of cannabis and CBD. So biology a little bit of... Chemistry, yeah, you're just we're going to touch on the endocannabinoid. repeat everything twice. <laughs> we're going to touch on the endocannabinoid system. We're going to touch a little bit on the entourage effect, and then... The, e- the ECS, hashtag ECS. <laughs> Endocannabinoid. Endocannabinoid. Say that 20 times fast. Endocannabinoid system. Endocannabinoid system. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Sales pitch. So 1992, that same guy, Raphael Meshlam, is credited with the bringing, bringing together the endocannabinoid the system. <laughs> <for him now. laughs> you know what I mean? He's got every department just funneling Slang and <laughs> Yeah, let me study that. Yeah, yeah. I signed. So they actually got the receptors were discovered first, and CB1 receptor was discovered in 1988, when the CB2 receptor was discovered about five years later. So one year before the CB2 receptor was discovered, again, Raphael Meshlin got that first signaling molecule, which is the scientific name is, we'll get to it. What's molecule? A, it, what's an andamide is the name of it. It's Arachidonyl ethylanamide, A-E-A. That's a whole lot of words for arachidonyl ethanolamide. Arachidonyl ethanolamide. A.K.A. anandamide. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm just smoking on my arachidonyl over here. Arachidonyl <laughs> You've got to get... You've got to get uh, intoxicated, cannabinoidally, just to read this stuff. Right. <laughs> AKA anandamide. Anandamide, and that came from the Sanskrit Sanskrit word ananda, meaning bliss, and then the chemical name for a uh, key chunk of it, amai. And I'm, we'll go into maybe what that means. I'd have to, we'll have to learn about that together. Some anandamide. of that chemistry stuff. Anandamide. Could ask Alexa Siri. No, we could. Yeah. Not shortly after that, the same team. Led by Meshlam, discovered the second signaling molecule that is considered important. Now, there are more molecules. This whole system is being described kind of as we speak right now in science. So what I'm saying is, and I've checked on some of this stuff, and we'll touch on it in other books just to clarify, but the most complete general and accurate description of the endocannabinoid system so there's probably different ways that it works is what is what we're about to go over okay got you yep (laughs) so with those two two receptors cb1 or cannabinoid one and cb2 cannabinoid two two signaling molecules aea that are recodonal ethanolanamide or anandamide and then 2ag and then there are five enzymes, a couple for breaking down each of them, and then a couple for the buildup of them. And this them. is all in the system. That's what the, the whole system, if we had to break yeah. it down into three, three parts, it's the receptors, which there are two main ones, one and two, the mole- signaling molecules, which think of them as neurotransmitters, if you're familiar with those, uh, or just uh, compounds in the brain that help it communicate. And in this case, they help it communicate better. And uh, actually, in all sorts of ways, but that's that's more or less what's going on there. So we've got the two receptors, two signaling molecules, and then five, five enzymes. enzymes. And that's a super rough, really general, but that gives you enough to know kind of where things come from. And the reason, one of the reasons it was discovered so late, is that it comes from inside of the cell. So it's not something like a system you can kind of put pieces together and be like, oh, that's the respiratory system. Like it deals with just the lungs. It's not hard. And it's not parts you can see. Yeah. It's not like parts. They, I guess. they come out of nowhere, out of these. The uh, system is in the cell. Definitely. And the pieces are just found, and they do all sorts of other things within the body, too. So it's just random parts 
put together. Damn, son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Way to hit that soundboard. We're getting good use out of her quick. We're getting use out of her quick. <laughs> I have to get Tyler on all those sounds. So, yeah, they're on-demand substance. They exist as those spare parts until the receptors increase in the nervous system or other parts of the body. When that happens, then they're made on demand, work within seconds, and then disappear. So they show up. They do what they need to do, which, again, is like that modifying or uh, changing the way that other compounds are working. And so, like I said, it... it talks about, or it's a, a talking or communication molecule. So what it does within that communication is it monitors the body's struggle between breaking itself down and building itself up. So your body's always changing cells. You know, you basically become a new person every seven, whatever. I heard couple, seven. Seven. Years. <laughs> Minutes. <laughs> JB. No, I don't know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like Jason. 51st date. <laughs> And uh, one, of, one of the things that it's responsible for, it's kind of a, a large thing, is the rebalancing of some of the most essential systems uh, in the body for controlling pain, mood, inflammation, energy, wellness, and illness. So it's helping fight diseases and injuries, and it's also involved with, it interacts with endorphins, hormones, growth factors, immune cells, connective tissue, and this just kind of goes on and on and on. So that's the system more so than talking about like, oh, what the, what the plant does. So I think it's important for people to understand that they have this system that balances them and it's something that's very complicated, controls a lot, and needs to be approached with care. Because if you start messing with it too much, then it, it just does a blanket response and starts blocking things. So the greatest number of CB1 receptors are located in the brain. People tell you like, oh, they're in the brain. Well, that's just where most of them are. Actually, some of the like nerve, terminal nerve endings in your body, which is where new one terminal ending mm -hmm. where they start and end, there's a big cluster of these CB1. So again, just that communication, balancing the, the flow of- all over the body pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nerve endings, beginning clusters of CB1. Yep, and then CB2 are thought to be more of the immune cannabinoid receptor cells. So anandamide and 2-AG activate the immune system in the outer parts of the body. That's where the, the kind of flow goes. So when the CB2 are activated, then it's more of that immune response scenario. So inflammation control and regulation. Also stuff like bone-forming cells, uh, which when stimulated can reverse osteoporosis. Activated CB1 receptors also affect the release of other neurotransmitters. So that's activated CB1 receptors, which I'm not sorry to say anyone who may feel that THC is a devil chemical, but that's what THC does. It activates the CB1, the CB1 receptors. Activates. Which in some cases, I mean, that's not specifically describing every time someone uses THC, but it affects the release of other neurotransmitters, including norepinephrine, serotonin, dopamine, orexin, histamine, GABA, which if you look into like breathing studies and certain parts of uh, yoga or other calming type strategies, that's the chemical that they're releasing GABA. and able to measure GABA. And that calms things down and endorphin. So a lot of the automatic functions are controlled through that CB1 activation, but at the same time, when you activate CB1, you activate CB2 kind of indirectly. And when you activate CB2, you activate CB1. And it kind of makes sense to me having a more than one referee, we'll call it. You've got your back judge, you've got your front judge, your side judge. Yeah. You've got a couple people communicating. You, right, you can't right. just approach it from, from one angle. I mean, it's evolved in all sorts of stuff. The endocannabinoid system, for example, plays a critical role in male and female fertility. So that's where you've seen those studies having to do with sperm 
motility from THC. And there may be something to that where some people do, some people don't, some people have increase. I've seen that as a, a study. And with cannabis, it's a bi-directional medicine or plant. Meaning. Meaning that whatever it causes, it can cure. Or whatever it cures, it can cause. Anxiety, it can help relieve. And it can help cause it, depending on dose, uh, maybe strain or terpene profile or CBD. Bi-directional, like a bicycle, two, meaning two directions. So it's looking, that's why you have all these studies saying, oh, it does this. Or a hundred, boy. Yeah, exactly. It's one way or or nothing. It's either good or bad. Which is it? It's a complicated, intelligent interaction between this plant. Yeah, definitely. Little, Little handle me with care on them. So we've got the fertility. Here's something. Okay, so you've got this system, right? You're telling me it controls everything. So why haven't they made drugs to to handle this? And we kind of touched on that earlier. With it being that drugs that completely block the enzymes that have to do, which is that's how they usually interact with, that's how they try to manipulate the endocannabinoids is they block these enzymes that either break down or create them. And when they do that, they have negative effects and they can go anywhere from, and this is on the extreme end, brain damage to death to any, any of the, the negative effects that you could possibly see with cannabis, those multiplied and, and magnified as well. So the, the endocannabinoid system works in a really pinpoint fashion and drugs in general, pharmaceuticals, do not. They kind of work at overall big picture. Big, big picture, you could say, but also that's why they have so many side effects because it's not fixing this. The endocannabinoid yeah. system. Hitting so many. One. The, the prescription. prescription. Yeah. Prescription. At least that's what it sounds like. <laughs> I don't mess. <laughs> so. Yeah, the. The ECS is more pinpointed, you're saying? Endocannabinoid system? Mm-hmm. Or CBD or CBA, CB1, more pinpoint? The system itself is just a really intelligent system. So working with it, and that's what they've seen whole plant variety cannabis does, is more it works with it mm-hmm. and helps it support itself. So what they, I saw this one thing posted about humans creating CBD. Like, did you know that humans have CBD in their breast milk? And I, I humored it for a second and I'm, I'm humble enough within this crazy evolving industry to know that I don't know everything. But I looked it up and kind of confirmed what I had already known that CBD is, is what's called, well, let's go back. Anandamide and 2-AG are called endocannabinoids, meaning that they're made within our body. CBD, THC, CVN, our Lord Todd, our new favorite cannabinoid, those are phyto. That means light, or they use that in science to refer to plant, phytocannabinoids. So they came from plants. And unlike the endocannabinoids, phytocannabinoid system works all over the body the whole time it's present. So like if you overdose on like an open, opium or opioid or heroin what's going to happen you're going to die so this works all the time and isn't as perfectly pinpoint so why doesn't it ruin it and cause huge problems like the the pharmaceuticals or the little changes in the structure the synthetics that they're using Well, some people say that there's no endocannabinoid receptors in the brainstem, but that, that's definitely not true because they have used synthetics and it has killed people because there are receptors in there. So that's definitely not it. So the author of this suggests something that I think makes sense. It's an over 60 million year old plant. Uh, the system's over 600 million years old. And it's thought that through it following the poop piles and using it and experimenting with it and in studying plants, the more uses that people have for a plant, 
uh, generally the longer that they've been interacting with. And that kind of makes sense, right? The longer you have studied something, the more you're going to know about it, the more ways you're going to see to use it. Yeah, definitely. The more variety, the more you practice basketball, the more moves, the better moves you're going to get and just evolving things. So there's lots of uses, including the ones people most know, the fiber, seed, drug, and that's an old use, not a new one. Recreational use, spiritual use, as well as paper and all sorts of stuff. So all these different uses and how well it works with our body leads myself and other people to believe that there was some kind of co-evolution between cannabis and our endocannabinoid systems where these compounds that worked with our bodies were chosen by us and our body allowed them to work. So the way that I like to talk about CBD working is there are over 65 ways that CBD is thought to work within the body, but the one of them, and this is the one that I think people can have uh, the easiest time digesting and spreading the word. So if, if you were to talk to someone about, well, what does CBD do? This is kind of where I would, I would start if I were in you, your shoes. Instead of it working to directly stimulate the endocannabinoid system, CBD, because THC does, it stimulates the CB1 receptor. And that causes possible effects due to that stimulation. But CBD, one of the ways, it blocks the breakdown of FA or F-A-A-H, fatty acid amide hydrolate. And I might have messed up one of the words, but I believe that's what it is. And that's a common enzyme that breaks down anandamide. So if it blocks the breakdown of anandamide. There's more anandamide while you're taking CBD. This is the thought. And that activation means a more healthy endocannabinoid system. So it all, I mean, it also binds to other receptors and talks with serotonin and does all sorts of other stuff. But just from what we've a little bit today talked about with this system and how it balances and works towards healing the body, and that being medical science, not medical fiction or media fiction, just that right there, in my mind, is enough to move CBD from any source, anti-HC, off of the controlled substance list, down to at least maybe Schedule 1. Because it blocks an enzyme. Mm-hmm. And actually, and actually it brought, blocks the, the enzyme that breaks it down. So the more anandamide we have, the more stimulation. And it seemed, it, people might think, well... Isn't that going to be bad? Can't you overload the system? And with synthetics, they have shown that, yes, you, you can cause this unintelligent stoppage of the breakdown. But with CBD, it's not going to break it down to the point where it loses. It goes in the wrong direction. It's not going to, oh, we've got this overload of anandamide now because there are some disease states and different things. Where And they might be cherry-picking, but they see that there are different high levels. And so they kind of associate that and say, well, it's got high levels during this disease, so that could be a cause of it. But anyways, it's a, that intelligent stopping of the breakdown. So CBD, CBN, THC, uh, at the time this was written, which I believe is 2017, there were 111 phytocannabinoids identified. And if CBD was the first junk one identified, I wonder how many more junk ones we're going to be having and what those are going to do. So 2011? 2017. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we can run through those super quick. Delta 9 THC, CBD, THCV, CBG, CBC, CBDA, EHCA, CBDV, and then our favorite, CBN. So those ones have a... Which ones are those? Are those like They're the effects. special ones? Those are the ones that have been studied a little more. Of the 111? Mm-hmm. For their effects. And they don't have anything proven, so I'm not going <clears> to <throat> sit here and say, here's what <clears> they do. But they've got different things listed on THC and CBD having to do with some possible anti-cancer and anti-proliferative and anti-emetic, which is nausea and vomiting. So what they're really they're well studied at is dealing with that nausea and vomiting from from cancer treatments and chemotherapy as well as 
AIDS. I wonder if they're just more studied too because they're like easier to study. Yeah, that's. I don't know. Like that's in true. The plant. Mm-hmm. Well, because you, you can see the effects pretty quickly compared to something like, oh, is that what's stopping the say cancer or something? Yeah. I guess I don't know to the full extent of how they're studying. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's true. Where I, can, where I can gauge. <laughs> where I can gauge all. So we're we're gonna talk about just a couple more things, and I think we're gonna end this up, and we'll do that before we get to terpenes. We'll do that uh, on an entirely different episode and dive a little bit more into it. But I think this is giving people just a little taste of what there is to learn about the endocannabinoid system, no, no. cannabinoids, and different because that's what this is about. We're not here to t- tell you anything. I don't have any degrees in this. JB definitely has a degree in study, but that's about it. We got can. Uh, can sell some anything and run a hundred miles in a in a day. <laughs> I don't know about either of those actually, <laughs> because he's doing what I think, uh, and this book says as well. One of the last things we're going to talk about here is this concept of careful titration of high THC preparations, which is responsibly using cannabis that has high THC in order to limit or eliminate the high if you wanted to. So the thought that people could use high THC cannabis in a different way than they're even they thought possible and it wouldn't impact their ability to function, it wouldn't intoxicate them and they can see benefits from that. How is that going to be argued against? I don't what what's your argument being against it? If you had an argument to say why why wouldn't you want that? I don't even know what you said. Like how it affects how you can basically use it and it doesn't affect you affect as in get you high yeah where if you had the opportunity well let's say there's <clears throat> stacy f has a a condition where cannabis has shown to possibly help her but she's worried about getting high she had never heard of using high thc cannabis in maybe like a microdosing type way or as little amount as possible and starting low and slow and maybe mixing in what CBD. Would my argument be against that? You don't have one, exactly. So yeah. Get out of here. There's, there's nothing n- to say. I don't I don't know of one. I just had to ask you. I mean, obviously it just depends like who I am, who who are who you? is making the call and why they're making the call. Obviously. I feel like mm. the people behind the call it's not based on if it's helping people. It's based on if they're making money. So it's like money over people. I guess is how I feel on the call. If I was behind it, yeah, I'd be like, for sure. It's (laughs) about the people over, you know, healing. Mm -hmm. Over profit. I just think that's something that's good to kind of get out in the air as a common sense thing. It's not a conspiracy. This is... That kind of sounds conspiracy theorist status, <laughs> but that's how I feel. You know, like someone, someone's a gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. Making a call. No doubt. And to whoever's keeping the gate, let's 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 <laughs> open it up. Off, let's open it up, boys. Fuck off. Let's open dude. it up. We got a couple couple things to finish out with. <laughs> We're going to look at, this is something that I, one question that I get all the time, and this is my source as well as the study itself. So people ask me about full spectrum versus isolate. Is it better to use just CBD or should I get some of the other plant compounds with it? So in a study done in Israel in 2015, pure CBD was consistently shown to have a very narrow dose range below which or above which it was ineffective for the treatment of pain and inflammation while relieving pain and, infl- pain and inflammation in the narrow dose range. CBD-enriched whole plant extract with very low levels of TB- THC, cannabicryomine, CBC, and canna- cannabidiol, or bidirol, CBG, cannabinol, CBN, and cannabidiverin, cannabidiverin, CBDV. Improved as a pain relief. Yeah, this shit's impossible. To th- it's, they wanted to mess people up. 
So CBD enriched whole plant with a bunch of other stuff in it, improved as a pain reliever, anti-inflammatory, and the dose was increased and was far more effective as the dose was increased, sorry, not and the dose, was far more effective than pure THC. In effect, THC acts as a catalyst that makes CBD work better. And that brings around the, the topic, the last one we're going to finish off here, about the entourage effect. So THC is only thought about by some as a compound that makes you high, that gets you high. I have people that probably have never even asked the question, what level of it gets you high? You probably look at it in their mind and you're just ripped. You're, you're done. I don't do drugs. Yeah, definitely. I've Me neither. <laughs> I yeah. don't do drugs. I don't do drugs. Can we get the good stuff? We don't want the bad. Entourage. So it's what's been shown through that study and through other studies from people, including Dr. Ethan Russo, who's a cannabinoid specialist. Talked about how the terpenes, which are basically the scent, the taste, the possible medicinal aspects, like in essential oils, those are what give it its scent, flavor, and possible medicinal properties. So those, along with other cannabinoids, mixed with CBD or THC, all together, intelligently working with the system that took millions of years to evolve if you believe in evolution, and for all you creationists out there, this is a plant that was created. So there should be no argument along that lines of why was a plant that interacts with our system without killing us and can give us some possible medical benefits, why would that be here? That's an interesting question. And with that, I think we're going to wrap things up. Thanks a lot for joining me, JB. Yeah, no problem, bro. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Sorry, it wasn't much of an addition, but... Kind of going through a things a little bit. Do you have any questions at the, at the end of things? Anything that you wanted clarified in a little two-minute two minute wrap-up session? So, <clears throat> we got the start of it. All those dated back, you know, 37, 98. I'm just remembering years of when things went down. Yeah, we kind of talked about the... We'll do the recap. We talked a little bit about the history, and like you said, 1937 with the Marijuana Tax Act. And we'll cover a, a different book that goes a little bit more in-depth into that. Okay. And then you have when they, it was like 70s, when they chopped it. And then 72, Nixon did some shit. Where they were looking at the, uh, the he had a commission to actually no. test it. So they made it illegal they, without testing it. In 70, it. they made it illegal. Controlled like, substance, yeah. And then like two years later, Nixon pulled that. Um, what else we got? I remember 98 in there. That GW Pharmaceuticals <clears throat> with okay. the, uh, the whole plant oh, yeah, mixes. They were make, yeah, they, they had them growing, right? And then they, did they patent it, or that was the, just the stuff that they were using to test with, GWs? That was the whole plant, so they were testing and growing, okay. and then now they have, I believe, three. I only know the name of two, and that's Sativex, which is a one-to-one CBD-THC ratio spray that goes under your tongue. And then the epidiolex, which is the CBD with the tiny amount of THC, so that entourage effect. And then uh, 2017, they had recorded 111 cannabinoids? The phytocannabinoids, yeah. Just phyto? Yeah, just, just Not, phyto. It's phyto part of endo? No. Nope. Or is endo separate? No, nope, the phyto mean light endo? again. So from plant. Were endo, were those seven you mentioned endo? Oh, no. So those were the phyto. CB and this THCB. So what's the endo? What was the endo? So we'll do the the quick recap of the system. So the easy peasy lemon squeezy endo cannabis. Two, two, and five. Two, two, and five. That's it. Go ahead, JB. Ah, I couldn't even name them. There's two Two, receptors. Two receptors. CB1, CB2. What's where CB1 mainly found? I'm not a clue in the cell. <laughs> <laughs> you keep hitting that stuff, you'll end up in the cell. That's all I know. <laughs> Around here for sure. So CV1 is what's, they're mo- mostly found in the nervous, the central nervous system. So the autonomic 
The so o- what think are, automatic. What are the other two? Is that where you're going? CB1 and CB2. And then there's two more or something. And so there's two receptors. CB1, CB2. There's two endocannabinoids that we really have studied. Anandamide and 2-AG. Okay. So anandamide interacts with CB1 directly. And then five enzymes. 2-AG interacts with CB2 and five enzymes, the main ones, a couple for breakdown of each and a couple for buildup, the endocannabinoid system. Two, two, and five. And And then you said you'd basically describe the system to someone by describing the blocking of the enzyme that breaks down an atom. So that, that ties everything back together. So when people are wondering, like, oh, what does CBD do? Well, let's... Let's link it to something that we've actually studied, which is that it blocks, has been shown to block the enzyme, enzyme FAAH, and that enzyme breaks down anandamide, which directly interacts with CB1 receptors, which helps basically to balance all of the auto- automatic functions. So CB2 is more with the inflammation and with the immune system and... This is just episode one going into it. Nice recap. Going to school on them. Learning patience. ModCBD.com. As I'm plugging that, I'm realizing that (laughs) our card processor shut down. So don't, you can go visit and look at some pics, but I suggest you just follow us if you want to see pics. Yeah. So if you do want to get a hold of us, you can go to our (laughs) Facebook, Modern Medicine CBD, as well as our Instagram, and you can check. Myself out on Instagram, Modern Medic John. Go ahead and DM me. And JB, where can they find you? Uh, it's Jordan dot Berglund, B E R G L U N D, and it's Jordan J O R D A N. Um, or just DM, you know, direct message the Facebook Modern Modern Medicine Facebook or the Instagram. Sounds good. If you're looking to pick up some CBD, let us know. Otherwise, yeah, if you need or a hit dugout, our lines, hit our lines. Yep. What's your phone number? My phone number is 715-919-3920. I got 218-585-3CBD. Hit the line if Hit you're trying line. to get some, uh, some CBD. And yeah, he was plugging dugouts. So definitely check out Third Grain and get thirdgrain.com if, if you need it. Um, CBD flower it can't be found through us, but go ahead and check out Sutherland CBD on Tower Avenue, pick some up. They've got a couple of nice little strains. Yeah, throw that in your throw dugout. That in the, throw that in your dugout. You All right. It won't get confiscated then. Smoke that and remember to pass the knowledge bowl. Only you guys have a good on. night.